School architecture is changing as innovative new schools experiment with building designs that make it easier for teachers to collaborate. But school infrastructure changes slowly, and the vast majority of American educators still teach, and for the foreseeable future will teach, in traditional egg crate facilities, consisting of long hallways lined with self-contained classrooms. Within those settings, is there anything administrators can do to promote teacher interaction? Could something as mundane as classroom assignments become a lever for school improvement? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by James Spillane, professor of learning and organizational change at Northwestern University. Jim's new article, The Schoolhouse Network, which he co-authored with Matthew Sherrill of George Washington University, will appear in the spring 2018 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Jim, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Thanks, Marty. It's uh, great to be here, and uh, I'm very excited uh, about this opportunity to talk about the article. So this topic is certainly something of a departure for us as a journal, and it's not really something that education researchers have traditionally focused on. How did you and Matt become interested in it? Uh, for the last decade or so, we've been trying to figure out uh, why do teachers interact with who they uh, interact with. Uh, as you know, a lot of the work in education has focused on the returns from teacher interactions. In other words, what benefits do teachers get from talking to one another? Uh, but we stepped back and were interested in, well, why do they interact in the first place? Uh, they can't get these benefits. Uh, we can't design uh, so that teachers do interact with one another and benefit from interaction unless we understand that. And we had spent quite a bit of time looking at things like norms, uh, formal position, um, uh, participating in the same routines and actually found that these things matter. But I was always at the back of my mind saying, well, there is this other obvious uh, factor, which is uh, physical proximity, even though we're talking about small distance. And I've always wanted to uh, try and um, explore that. The challenge you have in elementary schools is that um, physical proximity tends to be, or at least we thought would be, highly correlated with grade-level assignment, which is a big predictor of who teachers interact with. But we finally got around to uh, using some GPS mapping, uh, borrowing from some work in other fields, and we were able to uh, look at the effects of this um, across all the 14 schools, and uh, we're surprised, I guess, uh, in some ways to find that when you even control for things like being in the same grade, distance matters, even though it's not as uh, a larger of an effect as, say, being in the same grade, it's still significant. Uh, and what was even more surprising, when we went back to our interviews and recoded them, we found that actually teachers mentioned this quite a lot. So tell us a little bit about the district where you conducted the research. You just mentioned that you were focused on elementary schools, 14 of them. Um, what else can you tell us about the setting? This is a, a, a district. Uh, it's hard to know how um, where it would fit, but it's a district that's really taking very seriously building a system-level infrastructure to support improvement in mathematics uh, teaching and learning. And 
that is not just uh, about adopting a new curriculum in math, which it did, but also creating teacher leaders uh, for mathematics, providing uh, strong professional development in the form of a master's degree for these teacher leaders. Uh, most of these teacher leaders uh, work, still teach full-time, uh, but the, uh, in a few schools, uh, depending on the year, but um, in one of the years, for example, it was three schools had either a half-time or a full-time coach. And then they also built a series of organizational routines, but at the school level, like, for example, uh, grade-level teachers would participate in a team meeting for half an hour once a week, and they'd also participate in a professional learning community routine for another half an hour every week. And these were structured to focus on teaching and learning. So this is a school district that's really trying to build an infrastructure that's connected with teaching, improving teaching, and student learning. Um, so in, in many respects, uh, it uh, may not be the norm in the United States, but I think if you look around the country, you see examples of these school districts uh, that are really trying to take seriously improvement and that realize that in order to bring about improvement, they have to create entirely new infrastructures uh, to support instruction. I certainly think an, an emphasis on professional learn, uh, learning communities is becoming quite common in American education and this uh, growing understanding that teacher collaboration can, if it's done well, really be useful as a strategy for improvement. So this was a district that's focusing specifically on trying to promote teacher collaboration around math instruction. And that's ultimately what you're measuring as the outcome in, in your analysis. Is that right? The, uh, the, certainly, uh, math, uh, improvement in math instruction, changes in teachers' beliefs about teaching math, changes in practice are important outcomes, uh, in our work. Um, the study was not designed, uh, uh, you know, to look at whether a particular intervention, uh, caused a particular improvement, uh, that would have uh, required a very different design. But we were trying to really understand when districts engage in this sort of effort to build professional learning communities, to build infrastructures to support improvement, what actually happens on the ground and what's that work like? Uh, and it just happened that a, a side, uh, a secondary um, issue that propped up was this issue of physical proximity, which, of course, if we think about it a little carefully, uh, is related to infrastructure broadly. And how do you go about measuring physical proximity within schools? Um, tell us a little bit about that. I thought when I first started thinking about this issue uh, eight or nine years ago, I said, oh, this is quite simple. You just measure the distance from one person's door to the next. Uh, or you, uh, you know, look at how the crow, the crow flies distance, if you will. Uh, but it turns out it's quite complicated. So we use GPS software um, to begin to measure the distance from uh, one classroom to the next, uh, and we map the entire uh, 14 schools using their architectural plans. But uh, when you read the literature from other fields, um, that is really still a rather rough measure of proximity. Because one of the things that the uh, literature suggests is that 
Uh, a very important aspect of proximity is overlapping uh, work zones. And what I mean by that is that if we think about our work day, whether we work in elementary schools or universities, uh, we have uh, traffic patterns, if you will, areas that uh, we tend to concentrate our activity in across a day. So, for example, for a third grade teacher, it might be that teacher's classroom, the principal's office, and the bathroom or the copy machine. So we um, identified uh, these functional work zones for every teacher. Uh, we measure them in a variety of ways. So we might say for teacher A, we had the teacher's classroom, the principal's office, and the main uh, exit or entrance. And uh, then we looked at, uh, for each pair of teachers, we looked at the extent to which these overlapped with one another. And uh, we found that that, independent of just uh, raw distance, also made a difference uh, because you were more likely, if the more your work zone overlapped, the more likely you were uh, to encounter somebody, to interact with that person. And so that uh, empirical relationship that you were just describing between both proximity and functional zone overlap uh, and the frequency with which teachers interact uh, over their math instruction is the the main empirical finding. It's a descriptive finding uh, in the sense that uh, it doesn't necessarily speak to causation, but in the article you try and make the case that um, you actually do think these measures of proximity do matter in a causal sense of increasing the likelihood that teachers interact. Make that case for us. Yes, I, I exactly. I think that we uh, obviously... Uh, there are challenges with causation here, but when we uh, explored uh, alternative explanations, uh, for example, uh, maybe the relationship is the other way around, um, we found that uh, that was not the case at all. So we looked at uh, various other ways. For example, we looked at new teachers in the building, and the same relationship held, even though, of course, a new teacher could not have interacted uh, with uh, another uh, uh, more seasoned veteran teacher uh, in the prior year. Uh, so, yes, indeed, we can say this happened. Uh, this is definitely distance causing people to interact. Uh, but I think it's a very important first step in saying there is a relationship here. And uh, regardless of how we try to pull it apart, it uh, stands uh, it stands up. And the other thing I think that adds to that sort of evidence is the fact that when we did um, interrogate our interviews, we found that actually teachers talked about distance in uh, a variety of ways, uh, including um, the uh, functional zones, uh, if you will, without using that term. Uh, I think the other thing that's very important here is the uh, two mechanisms that we identified uh, that are likely at play. The obvious mechanism is, of course, it's easier to interact. You have to use less resources to interact with somebody who is uh, next door or just across the hall. So there's a relationship It's kind of uh, you calculate, oh, I need to find this out. What does it work? And the cost is much less when somebody's closer. Um, 
But the other, uh, indeed, more interesting mechanism in some respect is this issue of chance encounters. Uh, in other words, um, some sociologists, for example, uh, Mario Small, have argued that people don't always make these calculations about who they interact with. They have these chance encounters. They just bump into people. And uh, what was very interesting in the interview data is that teachers uh, actually identify both mechanisms, um, which uh, I think is also a, an important contribution of the paper. So what implications do you think the paper has for um, leadership in schools? This is an issue that you've been working on for uh, much of your career. Uh, how do you think principals should respond to these findings? Um, I mean, I, the obvious way, I think, is that if I was a principal or if I was part of a school leadership team, uh, I would uh, think very carefully about where am I assigning people. Um, do I have uh, outstanding uh, teachers? And if so, how can I position them in a building so as in order to maximize the opportunities that other staff will have to interact with these people? If I have mentor teachers or coaches, how do I position them in the building? Of course, in all of this, there's a trade-off, because when we assign teachers to grade levels and to classrooms, we don't just think about, actually, we may not think at all, about um, their contribution to the development of other uh, school staff. Uh, we may be just thinking about, oh, this is somebody who works really well with early grades, or this is somebody who does very well with the higher grades. So we have to think about those trade-offs. In, in some respects, Marty, I was expecting that I talked to principals about this, they would have been saying, oh, but of course, it's so obvious. But when I presented this now to uh, school principals and district leaders uh, over the last year in particular, um, they have actually been very interested, and uh, a lot of perhaps head nodding, but saying, oh, this is uh, another uh, lever, if you will, that we have when we think about how do we promote uh, not just interactions in general, but interactions that are more likely to contribute uh, to the development of new knowledge and expertise among staff. Yeah, I think that's what I find most interesting about it, at least as I observe the elementary school where my two children attend, um, it seems to me that not a lot of thought has gone into exactly who is placed where. Some of it seems to be a clustering of grade level teams, but a lot of it seems to just be an artifact of what rooms were available when a new teacher came into the school and then they tend to become fixed to those assignments in a way that seems to amount to a system of squatters rights um, yeah. and so it's just not something, I think you're, you're very right. Not something that, that a lot of thought is given to. And so I think it's exciting to call attention to something that can be used in a more intentional way. Um, you know, principals can be thinking about uh, turning what you're calling chance encounters to something that may appear to be a chance encounter on the part of the teacher, but uh, is actually a product of uh, a leader's decision. Exactly, exactly. So you can actually intervene to shape 
the chance encounters, uh, one way is by thinking carefully about what are the functional zones for each teacher and how can I maximize overlap between teachers that I want to interact with one another. There is also the other side of this, of course, is uh, there are more than likely staff you don't want uh, most of your staff interacting with, so you want to minimize their interactions. My guest today has been Jim Spillane, Professor of Learning and Organizational Change at Northwestern University. His article, The Schoolhouse Network, is available now at educationnext.org. Jim, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Thank you very much, Marty. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the EdNext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your content so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, please leave us a review and check out our archives where you can find all of the episodes we've recorded since 2015.